Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we come boldly into your presence this afternoon, Lord. Lord, we thank you that each and every person here is welcome in your presence because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you remove all shame. You remove all condemnation today. Lord, you would remove any sense of unworthiness, Lord. And Lord, that you would convict and convince our hearts, Lord, of the righteousness that we have in you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that because of what you did, Jesus, upon the cross, we can be bold in the presence of God. We can stand with our chins held high and our shoulders back and praise God because of the mighty things that you have accomplished in us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask today that you'd speak to us by your word. Lord, that you'd put that boldness within us. Lord, that spirit of sonship within us, Lord God. That we would be convinced and assured on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis of our right to stand in your presence. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good Jesus is. So Lord, we ask, speak to us by your spirit today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. And you may take your seats. It's great to have all of you here this afternoon as we continue the series on seeing the power of God unto salvation released in and through your life. Last week we looked at the message, can the gospel change our city? And it was very much a challenge to us as a church to be outward orientated, to be outward focused, to be focused on a word that Jesus has given us that can bring transformation, not just to our communities, but to our city and to our nations with the glory of God. And today's message is very much about the fuel for that mission. We have an unlimited fuel source in the grace of God. Amen. There is more than enough grace always. And this message fits into this series in a very important way. We need to understand that if we're to be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must be carriers of the revelation of the grace of God. We must bring the truth of who the Father is into the environments that we enter into. We must bring the sense of the presence of God in and through our lives everywhere we go. Now, from next week and week onwards, weeks onwards, we're going to look very much at the gifts of the Spirit when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to being out there proclaiming the Word of God. But today, I really want to get to you to grips with where you are in terms of the message of grace, what it means for you, and how you can begin to develop and nurture an overflow of the gospel of grace in your life. Amen? Amen. Now this message, this verse, is core to the whole of Christianity. It's one we know very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Right at the core of this message is the overwhelming love of God. What is grace? Grace is God's disposition and his action towards us because of his overwhelming love for each one of you. The gospel is that the message of God's love is available for you, for the people in your family, for the people in your communities. The message of God's love is available for everybody. Everybody can have a relationship with the Father. Everybody can be redeemed from their sin. Everybody can be set free from a life of bondage. Everybody can be brought into the kingdom of God. Have you ever let that word grace sink below a superficial level in your life? Have you ever let it go deeper than just grace, grace that is preached here on a Sunday morning? Grace, grace, the excuse we use when we want to sin. Grace, grace, the things that we sing about on a Sunday but don't really allow to transform our lives. Have you allowed the love of God to permeate every single cell of your body? 
Have you allowed it to transform the way you think? Have you allowed it to transform the way you are? Have you allowed it to bring out who Jesus has created you to be in the first place? The overwhelming love of God is what compelled him to give his only begotten son. The second is that Jesus' work is entirely sufficient for what he was sent to do. It says that he does not send his world to bring condemnation to the uh, son to bring condemnation to the world, but the world through him might be saved. Remember that verse where Jesus says, "For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him." Jesus taught those words. He's teaching a very important principle. Don't start something if you're not going to have enough in order to do it. Do you think that the father and son first sat down? Way back then. Do you think that they first sat down and considered, would Jesus' sacrifice be enough? Would God be able to have enough grace for all of the world to be saved through Jesus' death? Do you think if Jesus' sacrifice would have been insufficient, that the Father would have allowed him to come and to die in our place? Possibly not. Maybe he might have loved his son more than he loved us, if he felt that Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient to bring all of us into the kingdom. Yet they considered the price. They considered the cost. They considered the weight of forgiveness and grace that was needed. And it required the sacrifice of a perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. And his price was sufficient. There is an abundance, therefore, of grace. There is an abundance for every single one of us. There is more than enough grace for every single one of us. Romans 5.15, it's a bit of a lengthy passage I want to read to you, but it really brings this message home to us. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many die... Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, through all, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. This is comparing the act of Adam with the act of Jesus. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me break this down a little bit for us. This passage is essentially saying, that Adam's one sin, disobedience to God, was enough to bring death to all of humanity. But Jesus' one sacrifice, the giving of his life one time, was sufficient to forgive mankind all of their sin. So Adam's one sin was enough to bring death and destruction to all, but Jesus' one time sacrifice is enough to bring forgiveness to all. 
But His forgiveness, His mercy, His death on our behalf is not just enough to bring us back to ground zero. You know, all of us know the sin that we've committed in our lives. We have some awareness of the sin that we've committed in our lives. Jesus' blood and forgiveness is not just enough to forgive us every sin that we've committed from our birth up until this point. It's not even just enough to forgive us of all of our sin from when we were born until when we die. Jesus' grace is sufficient to us to guarantee us eternal life. It's a whole different way of life. He brings us wholly into a new creation existence. He brings us into a place where we now stand before God, wholly new creations, forgiven, set free, righteous before the Father. And it's a free gift. How many of you are still laboring to earn the righteousness of God? You feel guilty when you miss a prayer time. You feel guilty when you sin. You feel guilty when you mess up and don't spend enough time with God over the course of a month. And yet forget the simple truth that God has given you a free gift of grace. Which means from the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are guaranteed your entrance to heaven. You're guaranteed your position with Christ and God. You're guaranteed to walk with the Father in eternity. Now if that's the guarantee, of course that should transform the way we live today. But we don't earn that. We get given that. There's more than enough grace. 1 Timothy 1 verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's 1 Timothy 1, 14 through 17 for those taking notes. I want to ask you, did you ever stop to think about how grace works? How it actually begins to work in your life? Did you ever stop to think what it means to you personally? What does grace mean in the growth of your new creation being? What does grace mean in the development of your spiritual life? What does grace mean in terms of leaving behind the old, leaving behind sin, leaving behind old patterns of thinking? What does it mean in terms of stepping into the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you? I spent a lot of time thinking about grace because our senior leader, Colin Dye, has been spending two or three years preaching every single week, week in, week out, on grace. And if he's going to do that, there's got to be a reason. He's not just wasting our time. It might surprise you to actually think like this, but Colin might be actually saying what he's saying because it's what Jesus has laid on his heart for the church. You might even say that it's heaven's priority for us at this time to walk in who we are because of the grace of God. Or we say it another way, when we pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the raising of a generation who stand in our identities as sons and daughters of God because of their revelation of his love and his grace, that's God's will being done on earth. If we're going to pray it, let us also live it out. If we're going to say your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven, in heaven God lives, moves, exudes love, grace. And if that's what's in heaven, and that's the result of grace and love is the restoration of sonship 
being sons and daughters of God, should we not live that out here on the earth? Should that not be the overriding message that is demonstrated through our lives? That's one of the reasons we're taking these cell celebrations out across London, to bring grace to the city, to start to bring people who have caught a revelation of the grace of God into different environments right across London, King's Cross, Stratford, Westminster Chapel. We are bringing the grace of God to the city. We're taking people who've caught a revelation of the love of God for them, gathering them together in places where they need to hear the gospel and being the body of Christ in those areas. If you haven't yet planned to be at one of those celebrations, plan to be there because it's about bringing a revelation of God to different areas, bringing the presence of God to different areas. And if that is the message that we're to take, that we're to grow in grace, that we are to understand what grace is, then each one of us has a responsibility. I have a responsibility. If the message of grace is preached to me, I have a responsibility to me. For me to honor God, for me to benefit from the message of God's goodness, for me to be able to thank God for his work in my life, I am responsible for asking him for a revelation for me of his love in my life of his grace because his love and his grace are calling out the best in me so that means that I must seek to understand who I am in Christ as my first priority I must cultivate a, per a personal time with the Lord not just time to prepare messages but a personal time with the Lord where I meet with him regularly where I think about his word where I think about his heart towards me and I trust him enough to allow him to transform my life that's my priority but by virtue of me growing in who I am, there is an overflow to minister into your lives, to share some of what God puts in me with you. That's the way the kingdom works. There is always enough grace. Always enough grace. What about you? You've heard my priorities. You've heard what I need to take care of for me to become an overflowing Christian, to have the grace of God pouring out in my life for, to enable to minister to others. But what about you? What are your priorities in the kingdom? Are your priorities to set aside a personal time with the Lord? Are your priorities to set aside a time for Him to show you who you are in Christ? Are your priorities to set aside time for Him to pour His love into you, to bring out sonship in you, to begin to teach you how to trust God? Is that your priority? Because when you, establish the, when you establish, prioritize the establishing of the gospel truth in your life, it's important to remember that that isn't just going to affect you. God is going to put enough in you so that his grace shining through you can transform your world. That's what it means by so letting your light shine before men. It means getting in that secret place with God, allowing him to show you who you are so that his grace worked in you can be revealed to those around you. That's what Paul is saying here in this verse that I read just now. You might have misheard what I said. You might have heard it as saying that Paul had to experience long-suffering in order to become like Christ. And you might have switched off at that point in time. But the verse actually reads like this, if we're to take a different translation. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and long-suffering with even the worst sinner. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You know what he's saying here? Paul was one of the worst sinners. He was a murderer. 
He would drag Christians off and put them to death, and their families, and their kids, and their provision. That's murder. That's wiping out innocent people. He understood that he was one of the worst sinners, and yet he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, which caused him to turn 180 degrees and to walk a different way. He was struck blind. After three days, someone came, laid hands on him, prayed for him to receive his sight again. He received his sight, and he became a passionate preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says here that Jesus Christ used him as a prime example of how patient God is, how loving God is with even the worst sinner. Maybe you're here today and you think you're the worst sinner. Maybe you're here today and think, thinking that God is just not interested in taking the time to go through your catalogue of history, the sin after sin after sin, and the walking away from God, and the backsliding, and the hating God, and the sin against people, and the sin against your family, the sin against yourself, and you're thinking, God doesn't have the patience to work through that in my life. God will do it with Paul, then is he not the example to the rest of us that we too can believe in God and receive his eternal life? I asked you a specific question before. Did you ever stop to think about how grace actually works and what it actually means to you? And I ask for a reason. And I ask it not to bring condemnation, but because I look around and I see a lot of poor Christians with an infinitely wealthy God. I mean this in the most loving way. I'm not talking about financial things. I'm not talking about whether we have money in the bank. God can bless us with money in the bank. But I'm talking about Christians who are poor in the experience and transformation of the grace of God in your life. How can you say that, Gabriel? I can say that because I'm also preaching to myself that we are not bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God. If God is infinitely wealthy, if God has enough grace, we could be bearing so much more fruit for him. We could be raising up disciples. We could be releasing other people, men and women, into a revelation of who they are as sons and daughters of God. We could be doing that all over the place. And many of you are beginning on those steps. You're taking those steps. You're seeing amazing things happen in people's lives. But there is a call upon our lives as sons and daughters to transform thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. I'm here with this message to try and encourage you and to encourage myself and preaching to myself as much as to any of us that there are resources of heaven that we are not even beginning to touch. There are resources available in heaven that we are not even beginning to lay hold of. And I can only imagine that it's because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what grace is or that we've allowed grace to pass us by. Somehow thinking that it was more suited or appropriate to somebody else. That's what I mean by poverty in the presence of an awesomely wealthy God. It's an orphanhood nature. It's not believing that God has enough. But God always has more than enough grace. Say it with me. There's always more than enough grace. And today you can leave this place rich in the grace of God. You can leave this place rich in the revelation of God's love for you. It's simply a case of reaching out and asking for 
it. See, the problem for many is that people believe that grace is a nebulous thing. It can sound really awesome. How many of you, when you sing that song, Amazing Grace, I'm not going to sing it for you today, but <laughs> Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Those words, do they not bring a sense of awe into your spirit? Do they not bring a sense of, wow, the grace of God must be so awesome. I think every time we hear that song or sing that song, I'm sure everybody feels the presence of God. There is a sense of the awesome availability of God's grace for us. But then when we take that great word grace without a revelation, a living revelation in our hearts of what grace truly is, it becomes the band-aid when we can't explain something or the excuse we use when we want to sin. Grace is such an overwhelmingly awesome thing, but if we don't know how to put it to work in our lives, it becomes an excuse or it becomes a pacifier. Instead of being the transforming, life-changing force that grace is. God's purpose is that each one of us would be an agent of a limitless heaven. A son and daughter of a limitless heaven. A heaven where healing, where provision, where joy, where peace are available in limitless supply. Do you feel today like you're in a place to represent a limitless heaven? Is your mind renewed to the point of being utterly convinced of your availability to God for this situation, for this circumstance? If we think about it, there is a massive discrepancy between the grace that is available in heaven and what we're seeing here on the earth. Between what God has available and what we are putting to use. If we truly ask ourselves if we are agents of a limitless heaven, most likely our answer is no. Because grace hasn't transformed our minds. Yet. Yet. Because we're still carrying around an unregenerated, unrenewed mind, a mind that is orientated and attuned, dominated by the mentality of this world, the orphan spirit of this world, separated from a father who created it. We need transformation. And I can only imagine that you're pretty mad at me right now. Or pretty frustrated that I would suggest that we're carrying around an orphan mentality towards our Father. But I want to ask you to honestly pause for a moment. Honestly ask yourself, are we seeing the fruit that we should be seeing if there is more than enough grace? Well, don't worry. If you honestly ask yourself that question and you find yourself wanting, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we can recognize our absolute poverty before God and that he is the only one who has all that we need, then we're beginning to head in the right direction. We're beginning to walk in the, in the direction and purpose that God has for us. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of thinking that we have the strength to do it, that we have the capacity to do it, when we turn to God and say, God, you're the only one, when we recognize our poverty in spirit, the promise is there. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. You following me? See, grace is not intended to be a band-aid. I was speaking to, I was just in Stockholm these last three days, and on Friday nights they open up one of their rooms in the church building to all of the street kids who just mill around on the street on a Friday evening. And they invite them into the church, they preach the gospel to them, and they give them an environment where they can just hang out, be with their friends, chill out. 
And we always preach. And every time I go, they ask me to preach. And it's a great, great time. And one kid turned around and said, what do you do if you've been seeking after God and he doesn't answer you? And he said, people have said to me before, don't worry, God's grace is all right for you. But I didn't feel any presence. I didn't feel God in my life. I didn't feel like he was in my situation. I didn't feel like he was involved. I couldn't sit there and say to him, it's all right, God's grace is okay for you. I couldn't band-aid it up. Because the, guy, the kid had had a series of major catastrophes in his life. One being that his stepdad nearly tried to kill him. I couldn't just sit there and say, don't worry, God's grace is okay for you. Because it would have been pointless to this kid. And yet, it's something that we do all the time. People lose loved ones. And we say, okay, great, God's grace is sufficient. People go through rough experiences. Okay, God's grace is sufficient. How is God's grace sufficient? The message was irrelevant to that boy unless I sat down with him for an hour and a half and explained to him as he shared his life story with me as I was able to point out areas where the Lord had been with him. And I was able to show him that God had been with him in different situations. And by his own admission, he was like, wow, yes, God was there. God was there. God was there. God was there. And suddenly, grace began to work in his life. He understood that he was not an abandoned orphan. That through all of the trials and tribulations he'd gone through, that God was there with him all the time. Suddenly, grace became real to him. And at the end of that conversation, he didn't accept Christ, that conversation. But one of the lads came over and said, what did you say to that boy? Because his face was shining. He comes in here every week. He looks depressed. He looks down. His face was shining. See, grace began to make a difference in his life. It's not intended to be a band-aid. Don't take grace and use it lightly. Yes, yes, it's okay. Grace transforms. Or the other, the excuse. Grace as an excuse. Imagine a billionaire. Someone who is rich enough that they could pay somebody to cook their meals and pay somebody else to make sure that their meal was brought to them at exactly the right time. So say they want breakfast at 9 o'clock sharp. Food could be brought to them, freshly prepared, finest ingredients, every single meal of the day, whenever they wanted. They could eat the finest meals. Yet they go for McDonald's. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can you imagine what that guy is doing to his body? Have any of you seen Super Size Me? You know what eating too much McDonald's does to your body? It kills your body. Sorry, McDonald's. <laughs> now, think about what he's doing to his body. That is an absolute travesty to himself. And his dad is probably thinking, what the heaven have I spent my life making a billion for in order for my stupid boy to be eating McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner? But not only that, think about the travesty to you that that billionaire boy is eating fast food junk food when he could be eating fine food. Now you might understand, I have to live within my means, I might have to cut back and eat cheaper meals. But he can afford it. Why is he wasting his money on McDonald's? Why is he putting death into his life instead of eating the finest ingredients so that he can prolong his life? It's not just a travesty to him, it's a travesty to you. And it's also a travesty to his father. You get the illustration? Why do we do it with grace? Grace is intended to set you free from sin. 
100% free from sin. And yet, you know what people do? They sin and say, grace covers it. They put death in their bodies. They sin against themselves. They sin against people around them. And they say, don't worry, God's grace covers it. They could be living 100% free from sin. They could be living lives like Jesus Christ. That is the purpose and intention of grace for them. And yet they're using grace as an excuse. Oh, you know, I've, I just, I slipped up with my girlfriend. I end up sleeping with her again. But God's grace covers it. I, you know, I got really lost my temper the other day and I, I hit somebody. And that's okay, because God's grace covers it. Now, God's grace does cover it, but the heavens, what are you on about? If grace is intended to set you free from sin, why are you using grace as an excuse to sin? What is the point? It is a travesty to God. It is poverty in the kingdom of God. It is not understanding what the riches of God's grace is for. Paul understood the riches of God's grace is so that me, the worst sinner, might experience Christ and that others might see through my life that they too can experience eternal life. That's what grace is about. And yet here we are, mucking around. Are you living on the grace breadline? Are you Oliver? Please, sir, I need a little bit more grace. I sinned, I fell short. I need you to give me enough grace to get back to feeling okay about myself. I sin, I fell short. Please, sir, can I have a bit more grace because I need to get back to feeling a bit okay about myself. When God's super abounding, more than enough grace is available to bring your life fully out of old existence into new creation existence, fully out of sin into freedom from sin. It's a travesty to God when we do that with grace. When there is such abundance, when there is such freedom, when there is such love available, and we accept the lowest possible revelation of grace. Yet in that, I want to just point something out to you. God's grace is evident towards you. Will you allow his love to change you? You see what happens is this. Remember Jesus taught, when your enemy strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek as well, that he might strike you on the other cheek. I spoke to you a few weeks about this. I don't know if you remember. Why does Jesus say, turn your other cheek? Is it so that you can be a victim Christian? So that you can get beaten on the other cheek now? So that you can just suffer in silence and, oh, you know. No. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Because when you turn the other cheek, you get a different perspective on that person's life. You get to see every single situation that has brought them to that place where they were so angry at you that they struck you on the cheek, that they spoke words of vileness out against you. It enables you to see from a different perspective so that you are then powerful in that situation to love. To love the broken person. To forgive the broken person. Now Jesus taught us that. But the Father does that every single time we sin. Because our sin is like a slap in the face of God. And yet he turns and offers us the other cheek and sees every situation that has brought us to that place. And he loves. And he forgives. And he demonstrates his grace. He demonstrates his mercy to us. See, the only way to displace an orphan spirit is to replace it with the spirit of sonship. And the only way that we begin to 
receive the spirit of sonship is to cry out to our Father and ask. Ask for things to be transformed in us. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For who, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How is it that grace truly begins to work in our lives? All of you know the things that you're facing right now. All of you can think of one, two, three, four, five major sin areas that you're fighting with on a daily basis. I commend you for fighting, for choosing to follow Christ. Freedom is available for you. You see, in that situation, what is your belief about the Father? Do you believe that the Father really is good? Do you believe that His word to you is true? Do you believe that when he speaks a promise, he intends to fulfill that promise? Think of your weakness. Your weakness might be a self-esteem issue. You might genuinely think lowly of yourself. You might have been told you're worthless all of your life. You might have been told that you can accomplish nothing, that you're, you're, your skills amount to nothing, that you're just filling up space. And if that's the core belief that you have, the orphan nature that you have, then God's grace can transform that. Why can it transform that? Because God intended for you to be here. You might have been the mistake of your parents, but God intended you to be here. God intended you to be walking on the earth. God makes provision on a daily basis of food, of water, of shelter for you because he cherishes and values your life. And if you read Psalm 139 and allow that verse to speak directly to you, the grace of God begins to transform your self-image because God says that he, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says that he knows you and knitted you together in your own mother's womb. God said that he was there and thinking many thoughts about you before you even came into existence. You might think lowly of yourself, but God thinks incredibly highly of you. So much so that he sent his own son to die for you. Will the grace of God transform your mind or heart in that area? Maybe you're self-harming as a result of your low self-esteem. Will you allow the Lord to start to transform you? To see that your body, your existence is a temple for His Holy Spirit to walk around in the earth in the places that you go to. You might look at your life. You might say, I've come out of a background of promiscuity. I've come out of a back background of drug addiction, of alcoholism. I've come out of a background of violence and anger. God can't forgive me. God's grace worked in Paul. So much so that Paul stood strong, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in, and the message of grace because he experienced the life-transforming power of grace. You can go through each one of those areas, each one of those failures in your life and allow God to transform, forgive, heal, restore, set free. What about the man, the man struggling with purpose, with identity, wondering what his purpose is here for? God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. If you allow his grace to speak into your heart, you will begin to see the gifts, the talents, the capacities that God has placed on the inside of you. Some of you guys walk around like there's the biggest cloud over your life. But God has placed great skill and great talent on the inside of you. What about the, 
those of you who are unforgiving. Unforgiving. Unrepentant. You're withholding love from people because of the way that they have perceived wrong you. Maybe they've done something bad to you. Maybe it's like they've done something bad to you, but you've refused to forgive. And you're holding yourself in bondage, yet the grace of God can come to move in that situation in the most powerful way. By showing you how much you've been forgiven. By enabling you, giving you the strength to forgive. And so seeing a relationship mightily restored. So many lists of things that we could go through. To the single mother, to the child of divorce or the divorcee. This, this church I know is full of people who are from that kind of background, that kind of experience. Can God move in those situations? Is the grace of God available for you in those situations? It is 100% available. The message of God's goodness is available for all of you to bring you to a true revelation of who God says you are. So will you sit, immerse yourself in his presence? We're going to do that in just a moment. And allow God to unleash his rivers of love in your heart. To drive out the orphan nature and to put in a spirit of sonship. Keep asking. You know, some people pray a prayer one time and they get the answer. So they might be like, God, I really need a breakthrough in a job. But at the same time, they also need a breakthrough for accommodation. They also need provision. They also have a massive debt. But they just pray, God, 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 can you get me a job? Okay, you got me a job. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to have to sit and wait six months while God saves up so that he can give me the next miracle that I need him to answer. <laughs> God is not poor. You can ask and ask and ask and ask. Actually, God says every single need that you have in your life, he wants you to ask now. No act as if he's poor and can't cash out. He could cash out the whole time. He's just waiting for you to ask. You have a responsibility, just like I have a responsibility, to capture a personal revelation of God's grace. Because when you catch a personal revelation of God's grace, it begins to transform your life, to turn that frown upside down. Cheesy, but so good. To bring joy where there is depression, to bring life where there is hopelessness, to bring a sense of Life to those around you, when before all you do is walk in and people would be like, oh Jesus. <laughs> you need to catch a personal revelation of God's grace for you. And then we multiply that grace. We multiply that grace by thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, and for the sakes of those that you're going to minister to, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. When we speak out the truth of what Jesus has done for us, when you speak out the truth of what Jesus has done for you, it causes other people to be brought into a revelation of grace, which causes thanksgiving to be offered up to God because of the great work that he's done in our lives. We are called to be multipliers of God's grace, communicators of God's grace, because there is always enough grace. Finally, 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Let's pray. I want you to spend a few moments with the Lord right now and to ask him to speak to you the areas that he's highlighted to you in the course of this sermon, the things that he's brought to mind. Ask him what he thinks about you in this situation. Ask him what his love looks like in this situation and leave behind that orphan nature today. Father, we come boldly into your presence this afternoon. And Lord, we thank you that your grace is more than enough. It's more than sufficient. Lord, we sometimes get overwhelmed when we think about all of the things that need to be put right in our lives. But Lord, we thank you that you have more than enough grace for us. And that we can continually ask and continually ask and continually ask. But Lord, we've been afraid to ask. We've been afraid to ask because we didn't believe that you were good. Because we didn't believe that you had enough for us. But Lord, we come to you today as sons and daughters. And we say simply, Father, would you show us how much you love us? In this area that you've been speaking to us about, Father, that you would drive out that sense of orphanhood with a sense of sonship. For those crying out for significance, Lord, for seeking to pull down others, seeking to destroy others because of a lack of self-worth themselves, Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, reveal to them their significance before you right now. You'd set right in their heart the spirit which causes them to cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, for those lost seemingly in sin, flailing around, trying to find a way out, Lord, I thank you, Father, that right now by your spirit, you'd reach out, you'd grab hold of their hand, and you'd pull them through as their father, them as your sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, I pray that today there would be a transformation and onwards from today, a transformation of minds, a renewing of minds, a liberty, Father, from the things which so easily ensnare us and bind us and hold us in that place of orphan thinking. And in its place, Father, that you would put the spirit of sonship, that you would put that spirit which causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, that we would know from experience. We're tired of head knowledge. We're tired of things that are intellectual, Lord. We want a transformation of heart and of mind. Lord, we ask, put your spirit of sonship in us. Lord, that we would begin to see you as a good God, as a good father, as a father who delights to give us good gifts, who delights to pour out his abundance into our lives. Lord, we ask, transform us. Give us hope for the things we're asking you about. Give us tr- enable us to trust you for the things that we are dealing with right now, that we would see the release of your glory in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Brilliant to be here with you today. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you're new to the church, please come forward and say hi. We'd love to meet you. We've got our welcome team here at the front to spend some time with you, help you find your place here in the church. At 5 p.m., Bruce Atkinson is continuing the series on apologetics, um, the case for faith. And then this evening, Robert Slane is here for the Holy Spirit Revival Service. Do remember, Wednesday is the apologetics course, and Thursday is the God's Generals course that Roberts was talking about earlier. be a great opportunity for you to take full advantage of him being here and teaching that course. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoons and see you all very soon.